Do you think there's anything missing from the fifth edition feet system, specific feats or, or prerequisites or anything related to feats at all? Honestly, there are too many feats. I'm all about the prerequisites. I think it makes it flavorful and unique. And I don't like the homogenization that's happening right now with all of the uh, playable races and things. So I like trying to keep it as unique as possible. I would really like there to be feats that are tied to classes, like fighter specific feats or you know, rogue specific feats. And you have to have a minimum number of levels in rogue in order to to get access to this feat, just to give you more power up, more flavorful, interesting things to to really reward players for choosing specific kinds of uh, characters. I, I kind of agree with you with there's too many feats. Like it feels like they split up a bunch of feats to just have a higher number. So a lot of them are poorly optimized. Like, I'd like to see a lot more, or like, especially for me, the, like, the melee fighters and the grappling rules, like, it feels like they split one great feat for grapplers into three different ones. I would also like to see upgraded feats, right, where you get one thing and then you can boost it up a little bit later. So, you know, it requires, you can get this one to level four, I'd like Dragonlance it, right, where you can get one starting out and then you have to wait until level four to get the next one. They did that a lot in 3.5 too, right? Where you had to have power attack in order to get cleave and shit like that. I think the amount of feats that we have right now is just a telltale sign that we're we're ready to move on from the addition. You know, we have to keep adding things to make the existing players to keep it interesting for them. And we're at the point now worry about it so much. It, it's probably time to move to a new addition. So it's not that I have anything against feats specifically. I think it's just at this point in the evolution of fifth edition, they're becoming... Uh, too many frankly the biggest misstep with feats is the fact that they made it an optional rule because they didn't think anybody would want them and now here we are drowning in them yeah yeah fair point. i wonder if a lot of people like complained about feats from 3.5 and they're just like okay, i think fine, that they won't do it they did a bunch of polls during a on uh unearthed arcana about um do you take ability score improvements or feats and a lot of people said both we every time that we hit a place we get both the ability score improvement and the feat and so wizards went oh god they're popular and just flailed welcome to the it's a mimic podcast where you never know what you're gonna get Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode where we continue our conversation on player options in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I'm Kyle and with me today are Adam and Terry and this episode is called Feats Part 5, Running Over the Feats of Races. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters will be looking at all the feats that require you to have a specific race in order to select them. As D&D moves out of 5th edition, Wizards of the Coast is shifting from focusing on racial benefits to focusing on things that you get from backgrounds. We've seen feats get tied to backgrounds already in the Strixhaven and Dragonlance books. Today, we're talking all about the racial feats, but it doesn't seem like too far of a stretch to give these out to players, even if they don't meet the racial requirements. Some of them are just really generic. So I want to ask, if you were to allow players to take these feats without meeting the the requirements, would you make them justify it somehow with their backstory? Let's uh, roll initiative for this. 13. Three. Eight. Terry. Yes, I would make them justify it somehow. Their backstory. I, I, I think it only makes sense. We have to justify it somehow. So if we're removing the racial justification, 
which is a phrase that seems wrong in itself. If we're removing the racial justification, then uh, then we need to do something. Background is the part that seems to make the most sense there. One of the things that I have done, see, I, I make them justify it for every feat. One of the things that I've done all of the time, I, I sh- okay, not all the time, I should be better about it. But when I know that we're going to hit one of these feet milestones, I tell them two episodes or two sessions in advance. Hey, we are going to be leveling soon. Think about whether or not you want to take a feat and start acting like you would. Like you want to take the chef feat, start offering to cook, you know, during the long rest overnight, right? right? If you want to take the sentinel feat, plant your feet in combat and stand there and fight or grapple more often so you don't let people get away or whatever it is, right? Just so that people start to think about what this looks like from a a narrative standpoint, and then the mechanics back that up in a session or two. It's not always perfect. It doesn't always work. And I don't always remind people. But if it works out, it feels really, really good. Uh, Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, If you're going to take a feat, I would like you to explain it. Because I I always thought about it, you know, that saying, it takes 10,000 hours to master something. And that's what kind of what I consider feats. Right. So what were you doing practicing? What led you to, you know, your discovery of this new skill kind of thing? Well, if it takes 10,000 hours to get good at something, our listeners must be pretty much masters at listening to It's a Mimic because fuck, we put out a lot of content. Because we're not masters at running this thing. So (laughs) (laughs) hopefully somebody is. Okay. Before we get any deeper into this, uh, we're just going to cut to a quick ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on player options in 5th edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week on the It's a Mimic podcast, we will be running as quickly as we can to catch up on Undead episodes, Pantheon episodes for the Patreon, Legend Lore episodes, Mailbag episodes, and more. Check frequently, because every day there will be another episode dropped, sometimes too. But for now, let's get back to the episode. So, what is a feat? Rules as written. Well, feats are a special skill that a character has mastered outside of their normal level progression. Although I don't think that really fits with today's episode where we are specifically talking about uh, racial-based ones. These are more akin to a special genetic trait that has been passed down or inherited from your family line. In terms of where you get them, they are a variant rule, so there's a couple options for this. Normally, when a character would get an ASI bump, uh, they can instead choose to replace it with a feat, although... Uh, Adam, you mentioned earlier that a lot of people just do ASIs and feats as well. Uh, and I know another a number of tables as well opt to allow players to take a feat at level one as well. Uh, how do prerequisites work? And, well, sometimes a feat will come with a certain prerequisite for that you need to be able to take that feat, such as a certain minimum ability score, uh, racial, or a spellcasting ability. That also means that there are certain scenarios where a character might lose access to a given feat, uh, whether that be because of their ability score is dropped below the threshold, or maybe their racial lineage has changed from the reincarnate spell. At which point it is up to the DM to decide how they want to deal with that. I personally hate just taking away a feat altogether because it just feels, I don't know, like you're already screwing them over somewhere. 
it feels mean to screw them again. So I would either, if they're going to lose a permanently, I would uh, allow them to choose another feat or, you know, same thing if their lineage changed. I would allow them to uh, just pick something else. How do you guys deal with it when... You know, I have no problem letting them just fucking keep it because if you polymorph and you get to keep all of your stuff, you get to keep your feats, right? So if you wild shape into a bear because you're a druid, that's that is a bear with the feats. So like, nah, I'm, yeah, that's that's fine. Keep your stuff. It also makes you unique. If you get polymorphed into a dwarf and you used to be a Goliath, you are a dwarf now that can do Goliath shit. That makes you more unique than ever and, and more likely to be on like a hero's path. Yeah, let them keep it. Yeah, I also don't mind letting the players keep their feats, but not because I'm concerned about screwing them over or anything. You're, we need to challenge these players as DMs. That's you know, the main reason that we're there. And so something may happen that removes a prerequisite for a feat, which means they can't use it anymore. That's part of the challenge. I have no problem with that. The reason that I wouldn't take it away from them is it's more for me to manage, and it will probably slow down the pace of the game in trying to uh, to police this properly. Whereas we're probably going to have more enjoyment with the game if we just continue letting the players use their abilities, and then I um, factor that in uh, to, to how I shape the challenges ahead. Uh, all right, well, let's head into some feats then. Why don't we uh, roll to see who's going first? Ten. Natural one. Uh, oh, five. Terry, you're up first again. Sure. All righty. Okay. So I'll kick us off with Elven Accuracy. You can find this on Xanathar's Guide to Everything or in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. There is a prerequisite for this. You may have guessed you need to be an elf or half-elf will work as well. The, the idea being that the accuracy of elves is legendary, especially that of elf archers and spellcasters. And so as an elf, you have an uncanny aim with attacks that rely on, on precision rather than brute force. And so you gain the following benefits. You may increase your dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, or charisma by one to a maximum of 20. And whenever you have advantage on an attack roll using dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, or charisma you can re-roll one of the dice once. So that in itself, it's, you know, in my first take on it is you can get a bit min-maxy with this, of course, especially when something's kind of racially based and we know there's classes that align up well with that. And so, you know, it can be a powerful one, in my opinion, but that is elven accuracy. Okay, interesting. I, I find it kind of funny that charisma is on there for your ability score increase. I mean, like, I know it's for the spell casting, but I'm just imagining, you know, your uncanny aim is increased. Like, you can pick out somebody's weakness when you're trying to go for that, like, really serious, vicious mockery. <laughs> I, on I honestly feel like that's, like, a justification after the fact. It's clearly because elves usually pump into decks and half-elves usually pump into charisma. And if you're going to spend a feat and only get, you know, one boost, you're going to get it. You want it in one or the other, right? Like, depending yeah. on your character build. So I, I see the meta reason behind it. I like your reasoning better, Kyle. Thank you. Uh, all right. Uh, so I've got wood elf magic. Uh, so you have to be a wood elf, obviously. Uh, you learn one cantrip from the druid spell list as well as Longstrider and Pass Without a Trace, both of which of those you can cast once without expending a spell slot, and you regain the ability to cast them again after a long rest, using Wisdom as your spellcasting modifier. Yeah. Exploration, everyone. 
is what I see there. I think yeah, at the most definitely. wood elves are probably rangers in the first place, so that just seems redundant. A lot yeah. of the time. That's right. I was trying to think of a counterpoint to that, Adam, but it's right, wood elves, ranger, and then it seems redundant, but then I was thinking, well, what if they're not a ranger? What if there's something else? What are they more likely to be? And how would this benefit them if there were anything other than a ranger? This would be great for your your scout, the rogue subclass scout, or for yeah. um Oath of Ancients Paladin. Mm-hmm. Right, I like paladin. If you've got, if you're a wood elf and you're something else, and you want to dig into the wood elfiness of it, then sure. But honestly, if they already have it, if they're a ranger, they already have access to these spells. I will just give them comparable shit off a druid spell list to make them feel special. But I mean, if they are a ranger, are they really going to be taking this? Yeah, well, that's kind of my point. Is like, it, I guess it makes wood elves a little bit more rangerish. Yeah, like I think this, it's your stock wood elf. Yeah, you want to dig into the backstory, or you really want to like lean into the the theory of being a wood elf. Is kind of how I imagine it. It is twenty twenty three. Nobody gives a shit about being an elf anymore. New players. We're all we're all thrycreen and plasmoids and kender at this point, right? And new, play, new players are new players are humans and elves. Yeah. By sixth edition, we'll all just be furries. So, um, mine is. Uh, Fey teleportation, and this is for high elves, only high elves. So the idea here is that you're going to get Misty Step. That's the big thing. Do you guys know Nightcrawler from the X-Men? Yeah. Yep. In the comic books, it's established that when he like bamfs around, he's actually like moving through a hell dimension and appearing nearly instantaneously somewhere else. So it's like a dimensional rift. And here's the same idea is your fate teleportation is based on the fact that you can momentarily walk through the Feywild to shorten the distance between where you are now and where you want to be, right? So you also get a bonus to intelligence and charisma. Uh, You can knock either one of those up to one, to a maximum of 20, and of course you can speak, read, and write Sylvan. So neat. The fact that, that you can add Misty Step to your spell list is useful. It's also useful that you can cast it uh, once between rests without using a spell slot. But ultimately, I mean, I know a lot of people that go after Misty Step anyway. It's one of the more popular spells I see at my table. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, and if you're a high elf, chances are good that you're going to want your intelligence or your charisma to, to be through the roof. Because you've probably picked a wizard or a bard or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're right. Misty Step is one that a lot of people will take anyway. So it's when I see things like that, I feel like I, I would be drawn to another feat. I feel like I'm taking this one at level one, so yeah. that I, so I don't have to. to I, I can grab a different spell later on, right? And plus, I don't think you have access to Misty Step at level one. You'd be level three when you get it, right? All right, okay. it's a level two spell. So yeah, uh, that's pretty powerful for taking it at first level. Then, I guess. Uh yeah. Makes sense. Can you use another spell slot to also use Misty Step? Or is it just once? And if you want to use it again, you also have to take it as a spell. You get it once for free, but you yeah. also learn it. And it you it says right in it, you learn the Misty Step spell. Okay. So it's yours. It's on your spell list. You get to yeah. do it once for free every time that you take a short or long rest. So Okay. Uh, so we have one more in the elf-specific racial feats, uh, which is called the Drow High Magic. So this one, you have to be a drow, and you can cast Detect Magic at will, which, great. 
And then you also learn the Levitate and Dispel Magic, which you can cast once without using a spell slot, regaining them after a long rest, and using Charisma as your spellcasting modifier. Honestly, this is a great one. I would take it right away at first level. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a bonus because Drow have that sunlight sensitivity, which really discourages people from playing them. So yeah. it, it does feel powerful to get early, and I think it offsets that, that negative. What was the last part, Kyle? I think I, I just missed up the last point you use charisma as your spellcasting modifier for these charisma. spells okay 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 uh yeah i like it it's just it's and it's only for drought right they're not they're, you don't even play them very often they kind of don't even fit in with most campaigns due to their sunlight sensitivity yeah it's okay i just think it's it's unlikely that i'm ever going to use it because of the prerequisite of drought in this one but i know that makes sense with the, the, the flavor the narrative i think they actually got rid of the sunlight sensitivity in uh, Mordekainen's presents multi or monsters of the multiverse. Morty's monster muffins. Nobody ever gets it right. Yeah. Uh, Megan has completely given up on episodes. She just calls it Mordekainen's monster manual. Like she just does not give a fuck anymore. <laughs> and I think most people, I say Mordekainen, and a lot of people say Mordekainen. And I, I, I think originally it was supposed to be Mordekainen, but a few of us changed it along the way. I always heard that it was Morden Kynan, and I heard it on some show, like, years and years and years ago. And then I think I infected the rest of you with it. So it is Morden Kynan officially in the pronunciation guides you find in 5th edition. So So that's that's my faux pas. Adam, you should know you can't trust what you hear in podcasts. Hey, man, I've never listened to a podcast in my life. What are we on next? Uh, We are moving on to Dwarves. We roll again. Same initiative. Okay, so I'll go first. So um, I have a, a Dwarven Fortitude. Also in Xanathar's, the prerequisite, you guessed it, is you need to be a dwarf. I think these are the dwarf ones anyway. And uh, you have the blood of dwarf heroes flowing through your veins. And because of that, you gain the following benefits. You can increase your constitution score by one to a maximum of 20. And whenever you take the dodge action in combat, you can spend one hit die to heal yourself you roll the die add your constitution modifier and regain a number of hit points equal to the total minimum of one that feels really powerful on paper until you realize that no dwarf ever is going to burn an action dodging i can't outside of the classes that can do dodge as a bonus action i can't remember the last time i used that action to dodge i have seen my players my current table use it during skill challenges okay, when there's sure. like they're crossing a bridge and there's arrows coming at them they will decide for this one i'm gonna do dodge and i'm like all right well roll uh but i usually make it uh an acrobatics check right so it seems but, to be the forgotten action at my table even my players if they have nothing specific that they want to do they'll they would say i do nothing before they would say i take the dodge action i do nothing <laughs> you don't want to Lie down. You don't want to take a dodge action. Nah, I'll just hang out. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Uh, is there no uh, like limit to how many times you can use it? The like, limit here just... is that it burns your action. Yeah. Right. So that's really crippling. Unless you are a dwarf that is okay, Terry. Do you remember way back in the day with Curse of Strahd when we were trying to storm the gates of the castle and I was playing yes, Vargas and we had to run 150 feet, but I was like. My legs are shorter than everybody else, and I was not able to keep up. I was running, I was dashing, and I could not keep up with anybody else. And for the last couple of uh, of rounds, as everyone else is in combat, 
I'm running my movement and taking the dodge action as arrows are flying at me, right? And then yeah. running forward, taking the dodge action again. And that was the only time I think I've ever used it as a player. But it was as a dwarf. So, I mean, it fits. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I mean, but also, I think one of the reasons it never gets used is because there is no tangible benefit to using it, right? Like, if I had this feat, I would probably use the dodge action more often. Well, right? if... the tangible benefit is you don't take damage, right? Like, you get out of the way. Yeah, but I mean, most of the time, you're... You figure I could probably prevent more damage by just attacking and killing someone earlier than taking right. a dodge action. For That's for any for anyone listening and trying to do the math on this, remember players do way more fucking damage than monsters do. As a general rule, there are sometimes you get like epic level monsters or dragon breath or something, but like for the most part, players have way better damage output per round than than similar monsters. So. If you want this to be finished quickly, kill. Don't hide, right? Mm -hmm. Players can suck up that damage a whole lot better than any monsters can, and they can deal more damage than the monsters can as well. So, yeah. I also think it's one of these things that, like, if you are heavily outweighed in terms of the action economy here, right? Like, let's say you're surrounded by a bunch of monsters that all have multi-attack. Taking the dodge action once gives them all disadvantage on all those attacks for the next round while you are also healing. So, I mean, it is, in a way, a better healing spell, right? Because, what is it, uh, Cure Light Wounds is 1d8 plus Wisdom Modifier, whereas this is one of your hit die. And then also you're getting disadvantage on being attacked for the entire round, rather and, than just a heal. And you get to add your Con Modifier, so you may have a plus yeah. 5 Whereas the heal the healer only has a plus three, right? So so like it it's just it's really circumstantial. I don't think I would ever take this. But anyway, let's uh let's move on to the other dwarven feat. This is squat nimbleness, which is uh for dwarves or any other small race. You can slap this on a gnome or a goblin or whoever you want. So the idea here is that you are uncommonly nimble. You increase either your strength or your dex by one, you increase your walking speed by five feet, and you become proficient with either athletics or acrobatics. Also, you have advantage on any athletics or acrobatics checks that you make when you're trying to get out of a grapple. Oh, that part's useful. Yeah. So mm. I'm not going to take this as a primary feat that replaces my my ASI. I am definitely going to take this relatively like level four or eight or something. If I'm a fighter and I've got a bunch, yeah, I would, I would pick this up. Or if this is like I'm at a table where we get the ASI and the feat. I would pick this up, right? So yeah, it's decent in my opinion, but it's not going to. This is not going to break your game. No, it's not going to break your game. Although, I mean, yeah, if you're playing at a table with a DM who loves to grapple or uses monsters that use it a lot, it will really come in handy. Well, yeah, if you're the tank and you're you're up front, and the monsters are getting bigger and starting to grapple you, and they're stronger than the word before advantage on getting out of the grapple is going to be it's going to be good yeah when you you put this with the battle rager which is one of the worst barbarian subclasses but that's one where you have spiked armor and you're supposed to like grapple people and the, that does damage to them yes. most people yeah. have figured out at this point in fifth edition that you getting grappled doesn't affect your attacks so like i will just grapple you right back and that tends to be what people do so this would be like i grapple you i'm a, i'm a dwarven battle ranger uh, rager i grapple you i do a bunch of damage you can try to grab me but i'm just gonna let go and then wiggle out when i want right mm -hmm. so it gives you a little bit more control over that but again that's really specific and that's pretty niche 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right, uh, moving on to humans and half orcs. Uh, so I've got prodigy. So for this one, you have to be a half elf, half orc, or a human. Uh, you gain one skill proficiency, one tool proficiency, and one language, as well as expertise in one skill, provided it isn't already gaining expertise from somewhere else, like from the rogue or the bard. Jesus, that's I, that's pretty good. I like it. You got to get creative with that one. And I'm trying to think, okay, which tools should I use? Which something? But it's giving you some good options there. And the tool sets are not used often enough. I, I don't think, and you've reminded me to try and find a way to make to bring them to the forefront in my games more. But I do like that one, and I would try and get creative with it as well as the player. Yeah, I like it too. I also, I think it'd be one of those things that you would take if you don't have a rogue in your party and somebody needs to pick a lock. Yeah, sure. Yeah. At some point, but, we are going to do an episode where we cover downtime activities, and that's when you use a lot of tools and whatnot as well. So, mm-hmm. like. I think that this is something that is going to be really useful for people with the exploration pillar or even the role play. If you just lean into the role play and that tool, you decide that it's going to be an instrument, right? Like you can get a little bit bardy without being a bard with this. Yeah. Uh, Actually, in another episode I did with Megan and James, I think we went over tool proficiencies and uh, the rules that they have for it in Xanathar's Guild, which it really expands on like what you can do with tools and gives you rules on how tool proficiencies mix with each other to make almost like a third tool proficiency. It's, it's It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah, that is definitely an aspect of the game that I feel should be explored more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. No door is a problem when you've got carpenter's tools. So there we go. Or uh, fireball. Or fireball. <laughs> okay, so moving on, I have orcish fury from Xanathar's prerequisite is you need to be a half orc. Apparently full orc is not going to work for this. Uh, your fury burns tirelessly, and because of this, you get the following benefits. You increase your strength or constitution by 1 to a maximum of 20. When you hit with an attack, and if the attack is with a simple or a martial weapon, you can roll one of the weapon's damage dice an additional time and add its extra damage of the weapon damage type. Once you use the ability, though, you can't use it again um, until you finish a short or a long rest. Immediately after you use your Relentless Endurance trait, you can cause your reaction to make one weapon attack. Just to remind you, Relentless Endurance is when you are reduced to zero hit points, but you are not killed outright. You can drop to one hit point instead. So that would mean you're not killed outright, you drop to one hit point, and then you can use your reaction to make a weapon attack. This is my favorite one so far because it is building it directly into the half-orc stats, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is specifically supposed to have synergy with the way that half-orcs specifically work. I like that. This feels like good game design. Yeah, I like it too. It's making more of those epic moments. You know, I feel as though if what was supposed to happen was the half-orc is supposed to go down to zero hit points, they go to one with Relentless Endurance, and then they use their reaction to make this attack... If you do this at the table, you could use something like the emphasis roll, where you roll two d20s, and then the one with the number which is furthest away from 10 is the number that you use. And you can get a real epic moment from this. I like this one a lot. I like the idea behind this one a lot, but I just, I don't know. I feel like the the weapon attack one, I would like it more if it was, you could use this ability uh, equal to the amount of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Because I feel like one extra damage die once for long rest is meh. If if I yeah. can be if I can be perfectly honest, this is why feats need to uh evolve, as you said earlier. Yeah. Because I think this is absolutely fine for tier one. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, right? and it's probably going to be used more in tier one, where you're actually, you know, dropping down to zero hit points on a right almost regular basis. Right. Oh, that happens this at all tiers. The goblin tries to kill you, but you instead kill the goblin. That's what happens here. Yeah, it's the it's the no you moment. Yeah. Right? All right. Uh, so out of the elven, dwarven, human, and half orc feats, which one is your guys's favorite, and why? Same initiative order would be me, right? And I, I know this one was mine, but this is what I do. I really like elven accuracy. Actually, I'm not much of a min-maxer, but I've been thinking about going back, back to fighter recently, arcane archer, or maybe uh, maybe I'll even try and make a ranger fun instead. And uh, I feel like I would like this one. I would use it. Um, so I quite like elven accuracy. All right. If I can be honest, the wood elf magic and the the what was it called the orcish fury those two feel really good because they feel like they're really complementing the uh the race that they're supposed to be tied to in ways that the other ones seem a little bit more generic so i i don't i don't hate those but the prodigy by far for me is the one that's going to really impact potentially every session right because you're getting that extra what was it skill and expertise and tool set and like it just yeah, it just keeps going. Like, there's more shit to be done there. And, like, we focused on the tools, but more skills and, and expertise, that's powerful. Right. Especially when you want to sync that into stealth or perception or acrobatics, you know, one of the big ones, right? Mm-hmm. And you're you're creating more opportunity to open up that exploration pillar that we talk about, all the struggles, where I know I said elven accuracy, that's very combat-specific, and it's it's very situationally specific as well. Whereas the, the with the, the skill proficiency and the tool set and the expertise, you've got more opportunities to use that more often. I'm starting to, as we continue to do these feats episodes, I realize more and more that I should be giving that free feat at level one, or handing out feats at my own whim at like levels 6, 12, and 18, right? Just to be like, hey, you guys did some badass shit. Here you go. Because I would give like narrower lists of feats, choose one of these, and Prodigy would always be on that list. Yeah, it'd be pretty good to be given. I, You know, I like the idea of just giving them out, right? The, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, trying to encourage a player to... Um, I guess, gain the skills of the feat they're going to take. It also sounds like a really good way of rewarding a player for, you know, consistent action or like, you know, being really true to a character that they've written. You're like, you know what? You have been doing this consistently. You've been trying, like, let's say just lock picking, like on a regular basis, you're trying it out, even though your character can't do it. Like they're trying to learn, you know what? Here's the prodigy. Because all of a sudden, you know what? You've practiced it enough that you gain it. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah. Which one is your favorite, Kyle? Uh, You know what? I really like the Dwarven ones. I like both Squat and Nimbleness and the Dwarven Fortitude. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I It seems really cool. I, like, I'm thinking of like the epic moment, you know, where your dwarf is down to five hit points and he's surrounded by bad guys and, you know, doesn't know if he can make it through another round, dodges six hits heals himself a little bit and then comes back for the victory right i just no uh, yeah it gives them more you know like oh i don't i don't need you elf helping me out i don't need your healing i can do this all on my own you know yeah well yeah you have an epic moment there where you know i was saying we wouldn't use it very often but there are times when the party splits up there are times when my character died when he got split off from everybody else and there's times where 
you know, if you were this dwarf, you may be getting attacked and you're not going to beat all of them, but you need to survive a number of rounds. And if you can heal with a hit die every round and impose disadvantage on all the attacks coming at you at, 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 within the same turn, within the same round, it, it yeah. does create an epic moment because your party might be three rounds away or something. These situations happen. It's just an example of where you could use it and it would be fun to do. Yeah. yeah. Or you've got a wizard behind you and they're also down to their last hit points, right? You can't take out all these guys that are in front of you, but maybe you can give them enough time to pull off a big spell to take everybody else out. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Which one of these is your guys' least favorite? <laughs> Probably the one I just defended, which was the Dwarf <laughs> Fortitude. And I gave an example of, of how you would use it, but I think I just don't see it coming up often enough. I, I've never played a Dwarf. I just I just think for me, it is unlikely that this is going to happen in the next, in at least the next 10 years uh, for me. So for that reason, I'll say that's the one I like the least because it's the one that I'm least likely to use. All right. Uh, at what Fair point, at what point, Terry, are you going to embrace the dwarf? I know you. you... I don't short people. So, <laughs> joke, internet. It's a joke. Um, Bigot. Sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry, Adam. What was your question? I was trying too hard to make my short people joke, and I wasn't listening to you. Uh, no, I, I was just asking. Wayne, like, is it because you can't grow a beard, Terry? Is that what it is? Like, is it a jealousy? The beard is getting better. Well, it's not getting better. It's getting longer. It's not better. And I have recently shaved here, but you can. <laughs> it looks like a toilet brush. My beard, when it grows like out the bottom, it's just, it's terrible. Uh, anyway, but I'm starting to embrace shorter characters. You know, I'm coming, the smaller races, I'm, uh, I'm bringing them into my games. Yeah, but you're always going to pick the pretty ones, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably a tiefling or something will be next year. Um, I'm going to say my least favorite is the one that I covered for elves and it's the Fae Teleportation. And this is a bit of a hot take because intelligence or charisma, you know, plus one, learning a new language and Misty Step, that's all like pretty good stuff. But it just feels like a gimme. It just feels like if I'm going to play a high elf, this is clearly in my progression and it always will be, right? It's like when, when you start to play, like, there's no warlocks out there that are not leaning into the Eldritch Blast, right? right? Yeah. There are no mm -hmm. sources out there that aren't fire somehow, right? Like, there's just some of these, like, well, okay, I know what this character is going to be. And it just feels stereotypical and therefore uninspiring. Would I take this as a high elf? Absolutely. Am I excited about it? Yeah, I get to Misty Step. But is this fun? I mean, nah. I'm not I'm not going, yes, level three. I get a blah 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 blah. Like I'm not, I don't care. I don't meh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I would have to go with the wood elf one because you get mediocre spells, right? A cantrip from the druid spell list, long strider and pass without a trace, which are the thankless spells. Yeah, pass, thankless pass spells. without a trace is the is the hidden gem there. I have had many an NPC guard utterly fooled and and I'm sitting there frustrated as a DM because I just can't find these. Fuckers. Yeah. I designed a stealth encounter because you guys have two paladins in the party and you whip out paths without a trace. I'm pissed. Yeah. I have this, this the same thing I have with languages. It, it's the same kind of problem. You know, you try and create some sort of challenge, and then some of these spells are just kind of game breaking in a way, pass without a trace. I would include in that list. One of the yeah. things I used to do, and this was years ago when I was like trying to game the system, because uh, this is 3.5, but I always left my languages blank until I needed them, and then I would fill them in. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's definitely cheating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was back in 3.5 when, like, 
the number of languages you could speak was based on your intelligence modifier as well. So, like, I would just get high intelligence characters would and just, like, leave the languages blank. What do you speak? Common the other stuff. Well, I'll let you know when it comes up. I speak primordial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's usually draconic, isn't it? I don't know where all of these people are learning draconic from, but every play, eight, what, 85% of player characters know draconic. It doesn't make any sense. Because they know your obsession all- with dragons. My table is all giants, and I mean, that no one should be surprised by that, but like, it's it's all giant, elven, and, and draconic. I cannot get away from them. And every once in a while, one of them has infernal for some fucking Infernal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now sometimes that makes sense, right? A teeth or something. But sometimes you're like, where did you learn the language of hell? Where did you, you are learn an that? ASMR. What are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or where, where did your 19-year-old human champion fighter learn the language of devils? Can you tell me that? Yeah. <laughs> Spent a lot of time in the library, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of draconic. Yeah, moving on to Dragonborn feats. Uh, so that is just me and you, Adam, I guess. So suck it, Terry. Let's roll. All righty. Well, Terry, you roll too. Find out where you land I'll on this because we'll, we'll got to go through a few. I got an 11. 19. Uh, I got a 16. Second with a 16. Hey, last with an 11. That doesn't happen in this. Okay, so um, for Dragonborn, did we talk about, like, were there draconic feats and fizz bands? Have we gone over that? I I remember this. I think so. Kyle, you're the feats expert. But I I don't think you had to be a Dragonborn to get to those dragon feats. You just had to be, like, around dragons or inspired by dragons. This is specifically for Dragonborn. And so the one I've got is called Dragon Hide. You manifest scales and claws. So you choose strength, constitution, or charisma to go up by one. Because constitu- uh, charisma is a little strange. You grow scales and it makes you prettier. Um, and then, uh, But also, your scales get harder. So when you aren't wearing armor, your AC is now 13 plus your dex mod instead of the basic 10. So that's... That's all right. You just have like a natural armor. You also grow retractable claws, which sounds really cool until you realize that you got to make an unarmed strike, which means you're doing 1d4 plus your strength modifier for slashing damage. This is absolutely nonsense. Yeah. Just, after tier one. Yeah. Just play a lizard folk. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. Except it's worse. So, so I do, I do like the, um, the, bonus to ac but like it's not going to stack with any other sort of like class stuff like a barbarian or a monk who you know get unarmored increases to their ac but like i i don't know this feels i don't know when i would ever pick this uh yeah. actually w- w- wouldn't it uh like because the barbarian and monk get ac and it's their con mo- it's 10 plus their con modifier and their dex modifier so this would be adding three AC to the base, I guess. No, it's very specific. Uh, it's in this rules is written that if you have multiple unarmored bonuses, yeah, you pick you pick the highest one. Hard stop. Okay. Yeah, that's so lame. It's going to be a rare situation where this is useful, right? It's going to be uh, you know attacking you in the middle of the night when you're not wearing your armor, and then of course you'll have a thirty minute argument that your paladin or whatever wears his armor and all that sort of stuff. But it's going to be very few uh, situations where you can use this. I think you know you know what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to hand this out. I Megan is playing an ascendant dragon monk right now, so she's doing unarmed attacks all the time, and she's all about dragon stuff. I'm going to have her 
drink dragon blood or get hit by a dragon breath, like breathe in green dragon poison or something, grow scales, her unarmored shit is still going to be the same, but she'll get to boost up strength, con, or charisma, which are none of her strong points as a monk. So that's going to, you know, buff her a little bit. But she's going to be able to do slashing damage when she's unarmed if she would like to use her claws. I'm going to ignore the 1d4. I'm just going to say, hey, you know how your monk shit stacks as you go. You, She's level 6, so I think she's doing 1d6 unarmed damage right now. But it's bludgeoning. Now it can be slashing. You can have dragon claws. Shit like that, right? Like, I'm going to be inspired by, by this feat to imbue an already draconic-themed character. But I'm probably never going to just pick this. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the damage no, types as well, I don't think we think about those often of how, how useful they can be. It can be, to, to move her from bludgeoning to slashing is great. That means you can, you know, great. Now you can cut ropes on your turn with your claws, you know, before you couldn't punch the rope in half. So it's, yep. uh, there's there's times when you get creative with it, it can be useful. Or hell, the other useful thing for it is if they say that it's it's magical slashing damage, you're going to get, you'll be able to hit ghosts. Yeah, sure. even if you don't have a magic weapon, right? Like that unlocks some opportunities. So, but they didn't say that. I don't know. This one just feels weak. Yeah. Uh, so I got Dragon Fear. Uh, this is also a Dragonborn specific one, obviously. Uh, you gain one point to strength, con, or charisma. And instead of using your breath weapon, you can instead choose to roar mightily, causing each creature within 30 feet that can hear you and see you to make a wisdom saving throw uh, with a DC of eight plus your proficiency bonus plus your charisma modifier. On a failed save, that creature becomes frightened of you for one minute, unless it takes damage, at which point it can repeat the saving throw. I just have so, to pause. Root. Sorry, Kyle, if you want to finish it. Uh, it. No, I was just going to say it's all right. I mean, if you're looking for more flavor from your Dragonborn, I guess. If your charisma mod is high enough. One thing on fear. This, here's, here's the thing on fear with the fright with the frightened thing. It, it never says that friendly creatures are exempt. It says every creature that can see or hear you has to do this, which yep. makes it very, yeah. very difficult. I had uh, one of my player characters before I had this a fear ability, and I just changed it. I said, you're never, you're never using this because by rules as written, you're always scaring your, your allies. So it, it makes sense. So I'm going to homebrew it that it doesn't affect allies. But again, it doesn't state that here. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, is it really that useful? Because couldn't you just try to make an intimidation throw instead? You're already a dragonborn, you just roar. It's well, I mean, how it's insight versus detect thoughts, right? It's like you might be yeah. able to intimidate them where they may choose another target, but they can still move towards you if they want to. Yeah, it, it is going to carry a, a steeper penalty for failing than it would for, for succumbing to intimidation. However, it's still such a low DC 8 plus your proficiency modifier. You're using this fear effect at like. I don't know, tier one, tier two, your your modifier, your proficiency modifier is a two or three. So you're at like 11 plus your charisma. You're mm-hmm. never going to get it above 16, right? Which means the, the monsters that you want to scare away are going to pass it. And anybody else, it like, it doesn't matter if you say, oh, I sent three goblins scurrying. Funny moment, but who gives a shit? They're just goblins by level four. I can kill a bunch of them. So yeah. yeah. And you wasted your breath weapon attack. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... The frightened, the frightened related abilities I tend to use for positioning stuff more. If there's a mob, goblins is a great idea. Okay, maybe 40% of those we can stop coming towards us, which means I've kind of controlled their positioning a little bit more. But you're right, it's just not going to be useful that often. I would say past tier one, I think we're being friendly with tier two as well. Right. Uh, yeah, sorry, that's me again. We're moving on to tieflings. Yeah. Oh, I, Terry now. 
then we'll go back to you. No, oh, but uh, I got a 19. Okay. okay, okay. Yeah, I see what you're doing. Okay, yeah. we're moving on to T-Flicks. Uh, and I will use, uh, mine is Infernal Constitution. So the pre- prerequisite is you need to be a tiefling. So fiendish blood runs through you as a tiefling. And, and because of this, it unlocks a certain resilience, which is akin to that of some fiends. So you get these benefits. You can increase your constitution score by one to a maximum of 20. You now have resistance to cold and poison damage. And you have advantage on saving throws against being poisoned. Yeah. Feels very like dwarven. <laughs> If I'm honest, it feels it kind of feels I get it like fiendish here. It's akin to certain fiendish abilities, just feels a little bit misplaced. It, it feels very dwarven, I think. Yeah, the poison damage for a tiefling is I don't know, not what I imagine. I mean, I guess, yeah, hellish is terrible, but I, I, like, do you call bullshit and say you just make it fire, cold and fire because you're part fiend you can put your hand in the fire like doesn't that just yeah, feel right. more tiefling that does seem yeah. to make sense to me that does seem to make sense I, I might even say fire and poison as opposed to fire and cold well okay so here's my reasoning because i don't know if anybody remembers this but i crunched the fucking numbers quite a few books ago now but like i crunched the numbers on monster manual volos and tome of foes and I sat down, I looked at them all, and I said, okay, what are the most common damage types for resistances? Uh, what are the most common damage types for uh, afflicting this damage? And uh, immunities and vulnerabilities as well. Fire and poison are by far the most common, and there are all sorts of creatures that use poison. Uh, you've got fiends, you've got plants, you've got all sorts of undead, handful of aberrations, like, there's just tons of... plus. Everything drow is poison. All the UNT are poison. Like there's just a lot of poison out there. And then the next, but uh, it's dwarfed even by fire. Everything does fire damage in fifth edition, mm-hmm. right? That's why yeah. I never want to play a fire based character. I watch James do it all the time, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" By the time you hit level eight, everything is resistant or immune to fire. Right. There's there's no point in this. So when I'm looking at how much, like, if I want to give them resistant to both fire and poison, man, they're just mitigating a shit ton of damage all of the time. That's why, like, cold and fire, right? I think cold and poison, from a math standpoint, makes sense, just based on how often you're going to see it. But that's a big gift. Like, fire and poison's a big gift. Yeah. That's probably probably half, roughly. 40 to 50% of the monsters are doing at least one attack that does those two types. Right, right, yeah. So... I mean, it's pretty good though, because yeah, with the uh, T flame, they already get fire resistance. So now fire, cold, and poison. Oh shit! Like they, oh, they do already get it as a T flame, don't they? Yeah, they already get what? Sorry, I missed that. Fire resistance. Oh right, of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I do like the advantage on saving throws against being poisoned, but I use a lot of poisons in my game. I get uh, uh, poisons coming up all the time for me. Yeah. Or if you have something that's drow heavy, like I, I know we just went through it in another game I played, and it it can fuck you up really bad, real yeah, quick. Quickly. So the other tiefling feat that we have here is the flames of Phlegathos. So the idea here is that you're calling on Hellfire uh, to just like imbue your own magic. You can increase your intelligence or charisma by one. Really good for tieflings. And then you, when you use anything uh, that any sort of magic that does fire damage, you can re-roll any of the, uh, any one 
fire damage dice, but you have to use a new roll. So for your hellish rebuke, or if you've decided to lean into like burning hands or something like that, you're rolling multiple damage dice. If it you look at the fire dice you're doing that you're rolling, you can re-roll one of them. Whenever you cast a spell that deals fire on top of that, you can cause flames to wreathe you until the end of your next turn. The flames don't do anything to you or your possessions, but they do shed bright light out to 30 feet and then dim light to an additional 30 feet, so you light up more than a torch. Uh, And any creature within five feet of you that hits you with a melee attack takes 1d4 fire damage. Honestly, that's a great feat. I do quite like that. My only problem is that it's going to really piss off the tiefling rogue just because you become bright. Mm. But honestly, tiefling warlocks and sorcerers and shit will eat this up. I, I yeah. actually quite like this. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah, Especially when you're rolling 8d6, right? There's nothing more frustrating than rolling 8d6 and coming up with four ones. And now you can re-roll all of them. No, you can re-roll one. You can just oh, re-roll. Really re-roll. Okay. You, you, yeah, you're not... Um, or sorry, you re-roll any roll of one. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's not even the exciting part for me. It's the melee attacks. Part. Yeah, when really? they hit you, they automatically take 1d4 fire damage. Yeah, the, that's the part that's going to come up more often, I think. There's no roll. There's no, like, there's no save. You're not trying to hit them. They just take it. Right. Yeah. So if you're feeling good, you could, you know, run through a crowd and let them get their opportunity attacks off and hit them all with it. Well, commoners have four hit points, right? So, I mean, you, you're mm-hmm. potentially killing... 25% of a population that hits you if like if a mob of commoners come at you. Yeah. Uh, really playing into that tiefling thing, huh? <laughs> I've never had a tiefling mob. That, I, I was I've never had a tiefling that has not been persecuted in some way. I don't know what it is, but they love to be Frankenstein's monsters. Mm, makes sense. Or that the definition of an edgy character, I think. All right. So which of these dragonborns and tiefling feats do you guys like the most? I mean Adam. Like the one I just covered, that one. The, the, Dragonborns get shafted all the time. They never get anything good. They got shitty, um, like racial traits and stuff in the monster manual. Fizban's brought them up to par, but they've never been really like special, special. You got to go above and beyond to make a dragonborn feel special by giving draconic gifts. And and these feats are just kind of like half measures that aren't really they're not going to be useful. Like after a little while, like eventually you're just going to find. Better armor than your dragon hide. You're going to do more damage than your dragon claws. You're not going to be able to make that fear pop off at, you know, even mid-levels, right? So the tieflings by far got better shit. And I don't know. I like the, uh, I like the flames of Flegathos better than I like the uh, infernal constitution, but they're both good. Yeah. Agreed on all points. The flames of Flegathos, I think is my favorite one. I'm going to use it more often. Makes for more epic moments. It's uh, it's going to be much more rewarding, I think, or at least for me, anyway. What about you, Kyle? Uh, I mean, I would have to agree with you. The Flames of Phlegathos is definitely my favorite. I think it's going to be the most useful. Although, you know, I'm I kind of coming around on Dragonhide to, like, just a little bit. Like, if you're playing a class that only has light armor or something, this is better, and you're going with a high dex, maybe, like, a bard or a rogue, it could be useful. I just think that most people, will, because of the stat bonuses of, I think it's strength and charisma for Dragonborn, you're not getting yeah. rogues. You're getting paladins. You're getting fighters. You're getting, I mean, you might you might get a bard, right. but like you're not you're not getting it where you want it, right? Like this doesn't stack 
beautifully with like a monk. No. I honestly it's a missed opportunity that they you can't take that stat increase into decks. You get strength con or charisma, mm. but not decks. Yep. Honestly, this would be really powerful if they just said adds plus three to your AC. Yeah. Yeah. Then, that might I, almost be too much. I yeah. I'd take an adds plus two, right? Like I I don't know. I'm just uh like I say, I would hand this out as an afterthought, like a, a little boon to my player instead of making them waste a feat slot on it. Yeah, or a plus one to AC if you're not wearing armor. I think that could have been better. Yeah. Then you could have used it on a monk, or uh, but still not dex. Hmm. All right. Uh, which one of these is your least favorite? I mean, the fear. Yeah, easy. Yeah, dragon fear. I mean, I like the idea of it, but it's not going to work as well as we'd like it to or for as long as we wanted to. Yeah. No. You want to know what I would do with it? I would say, first of all, I want to beef up, up the breath weapon to do a number of damage dice equal to your proficiency modifier, right? Just so that it stacks with you. So eventually you're doing 6d6 damage with your breath weapon. But then you're adding this this fear effect to it as well, right? It's going to be really powerful when you're level two sitting in a cavern fighting a bunch of rats and you do your breath weapon, toast a bunch, and all the rest of them scurry. But you're probably not going to make all of the high-level devils that you're fighting late game run away. You'll still hit them with the with the breath and you might make some of their minions run. So that that dragon fear just feels underwhelming that would should have been coupled better. The dragonborn's just disappointing. Yeah, I agree. Also, Jerry, you mentioned earlier that it doesn't specify that it won't affect your allies, which is dumb. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh let's move on to Halflicks. Oh, looks like it's just Gnomes. me and you for this one, Adam. No, it's gnomes first. Oh no, we got gnomes first, right? Uh, let's just keep it the same order. So I'll go next. So my one is fade away. Uh, you got to be a gnome, obviously. You gain one point to dex or intelligence, and once per long or short rest after you take damage, you can use your reaction to become invisible until the end of your next turn, unless you attack, deal damage, or force another creature to make a saving throw. This is weirdly powerful. I watched Dan do that, like, once per short rest invisibility with his furball all the Mm. time, and it's he's pretty strategic right so he waits to use it at the right moment and but he gets into the perfect position um and he can pop it off whenever he wants he doesn't have to wait to get hit or anything right so yeah i feel like the furbolgs is a little bit more powerful a little bit better um but i I don't hate this this is all right yeah so yeah all right though i think is you nailed it yes it's good to keep the game interesting though dms i Try to remind that invisibility is that you cannot be seen, not that you cannot be detected. You still leave footprints. Your feet are wet if you've just come out of the water. You know, it's mm. uh, you're still making sounds, all those, all those sort of stuff that needs to be remembered. So yeah, it it is good. It's not as powerful as people at first think it is, though. All the yeah. only thing you're doing is imposing disadvantage on the next attack. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so for me, my next one for gnomes is Spurfnablin magic. I think you would pronounce it Spurfnablin, right? Well, I say I say Smirnoff, not Smirnoff. So you know, it is it's it's Spurfnablin. You're right. Um, I'm very excited that Terry, you get to talk about gnomes. Okay, great. Um, so this is for gnomes, specifically specifically deep gnomes, and you've you've inherited the the natural spellcasting ability of your ancestors. So this feat allows you to cast non-detection on yourself at will without needing a material component. You can also cast each of the following spells once with this ability. Blindness, deafness, 
Blur, and Disguise Self. You regain the ability to cast these spells when you finish a long rest. Your intelligence is your spellcasting ability for these spells, and you cast them at their lowest possible levels. That's important to note if you're not an intelligence style caster. That's okay. It's okay, right? It's all right. I mean, you're limited by, you would probably take it if you were an intelligence caster, because you're going to have more benefit from the buff there. Uh, but it's all right. Blindness, deafness, I think, is a often overlooked spell. Blindness is particularly important if you're fighting a caster. Um, non-detection at will without a material component, though. Is that... Game breaking? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, the third level spell that you're not dropping a spell slot on. How powerful is it? It's been a while since I've looked at non-detection. I actually have never seen the spell before. For the duration, you hide a target that you touch from divination magic. The target oh. can be a willing creature or a place or an object no larger than ten feet in any dimension. The target can't be targeted by any divination magic or perceived through magical scrying sensors. So, so there's a few elements this right first of all you gotta have scrying which is heavily used in your game adam i know you don't like scrying too much you need to have probably a more experienced player to understand what this means for non-detection and divination magic and an experienced dm that, that for the same reasons there's a lot of things we've got to line up for this to be used often yeah only on yourself seems like not super useful unless you have a lot of the time your party is splitting. Right, like the big bad's not going to be pissed off with one player when they get there and they go, I've been watching all five of you little bastards. Not him. He's all right. He hasn't done anything. So he was also yeah. there for sure. We're mad anyway. But I mean, the other ones are pretty good. Blindness, deafness, blur, and disguise self. Uh, yeah. I like it. Non-detection becomes way better. You can cast this on yourself at will without needing a material component, but it also lasts eight hours. So you just have to do this three times a day on you, right? Yeah. This, uh, I don't think it's a game breaking. If because it's all about other people trying to, you know, use divination magic to try to find you. This doesn't make you impossible for the guards to see you. It means that the hag doesn't know where you are. Yeah. Right. And this also stays. Sorry, go on. Ahead. Well, just how often does that come up? Yeah. So non-detection is you hide a target that you touch. Does that mean it can be an object? If we're trying to hide an object from somebody. Normally, yeah, yes. Can. But it, you can only cast it on yourself with this feat. Oh, okay, right, okay, okay. Yeah. Not too excited by the way they laid that out. Yeah. But I mean, the other parts of it still kind of make up for it, right? Three more spells, blindness, deafness, blur, and disguise self are all very good. Yeah, this isn't a big deal. Also, who's picking us for Neblin? Like, right. this is never going to come up. Like, there's also that, right? So <laughs> probably the least popular uh, race that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. That one also that's has a sunlight fine. sensitivity. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But not anymore, I don't think. I think they changed it all in MPMM. We gotta we gotta come up with a shorthand for this because like the monster of the multiverse. Like we gotta it's such a fucking mouthful. It's like yeah. Big B Big B presents glory of the giants. Oh, just make it Monster Manual is so good. What a yeah. great name for a fucking book. Yeah. yeah. Morty V2. <laughs> yeah. The, the Morty sequel. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, okay. So for Halflings, I've got Second Chance. And so this is clearly for Halflings only. Both of the Halfling things are kind of like based on the idea that, that you're lucky. So this one's all about when someone tries to hit you, you get to like avoid it a little bit. So you increase your dex, con, or charisma by one. When a creature you can see hits you with an attack roll, your reaction forces that creature to re-roll. You can do this once between rests. 
just an, an another annoying halfling thing. Yep. Yeah, this is this gets uh, completely overshadowed by lucky by the lucky feet. This gets completely overshadowed by uh, diviners. Um, like there are lots of ways to do this better. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't like too many ways in which you can essentially like remove yourself from the threat of the game. So I don't like lucky or second chance, uncanny dodge. Silvery you know, barbs is another one. Silvery barbs, I fucking hate to be honest. That gets used against me by the wizard in my uh, table a lot because a, a, com- a complaint I hear from players sometimes is uh, specifically players with this type of thing is I didn't really do anything. I was just kind of invisible in the back. I just hit nothing. Even hit me because I never get hit, and I just kind of stayed there until it was over. I hear these kinds of things, so it seems like something would be an advantage, like a benefit. But okay, you do five, six, twenty sessions in your your campaign or whatever, and you're it's like you're hardly ever really included in the big battles. You don't feel that same stress and challenge as everyone else. So it becomes the game becomes a bit flat in some ways because of this type of stuff. I, I'm fighting this exact problem that you're describing with Dave right now because he is a fairy scout, which means everything he does is ranged and he flies. Up yeah. he goes and he hides. And I I look, I've got some experience. I know what I'm doing about throwing shit at him. But there are definitely, he chose a flying character. I have to reward him for that some of the time. There are some combats where all he does is get pot shots off. And because he is a scout, he's a rogue. He only has one attack. Like he sits back, goes pew. All right, I'm going to wait 15 minutes for my next turn, right? Like, and I feel like this is the same thing. It's just, it's making it so that you are not involved. Yeah. People don't get a reward from avoiding damage. They get it from from giving damage in those big epic moments. But no one ever goes, oh my god, I did so great, I didn't get hit for 10 sessions. Unless they're a rogue with evasion, at which point you got to start throwing things across the table. Yeah, sure. Honestly, it's just, it's not, it's not great. You get, you can give someone essentially disadvantage one time per rest. Yeah. Like, plus the boy. Plus the ability score improvement. And that's, we have to acknowledge the fact that there are so many feats out there that don't do that. So that is kind of like a half step in the right direction as well, which is why I think we're seeing a lot of the weaker shit in this episode is because we're getting a lot of these uh, abilities uh, score improvements by one instead of by two, right? So we're getting like a half and half instead of a full feat or a full ASI. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, compare it, this strikes me as like along the same veins as Warbin Fortitude, right? So with that, you take a dodge action. So you're imposing disadvantage essentially for a turn for all attack rolls against you, not just one, and you're also healing. And I think you also get a stat bonus. Also, you have to be able to see this one. Yeah. So yeah, this feels this feels just like more halfling lucky nonsense that pulls you out of the game and isn't even really that good. Yeah, it's one of those shoehorned feats. They're like, ah, shit, we need another one for Halfling. What can we do? Yeah. There you go. Um, uh, Mine is Bountiful Luck. So once again, Halfling, uh, when an ally within 30 feet of you rolls a one for an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw, you can use your reaction to allow that ally to roll again. They must use the new roll. Seems an unnecessary addition because why would you use the one? But I suppose clarity is important. And then once used, you they cannot use the lucky racial trait again until the end of their next turn. So uh, the only use case I can think of, just to answer your question there, is if you are trying to, let's say that there's a small kitten you are trying to do non-lethal damage to, 
but you've got to just kind of like knock it out to, to catch it or whatnot. It has one hit point and you yeah. don't want to do death by massive damage. But then the halfling beside you miss, the halfling beside you says, here, do this. And then you crit. And now you do seven damage. That's death by massive damage. That kitten is dead. You have to take that role. Yeah. That's like, that's the only okay. kind of scenario is that uh, of you, you don't want to crit, right? I can't imagine anybody else ever saying, no, I don't. I, I would rather take the one. Yeah. Eh, fair enough. That's a good point. Uh, honestly, it's a great ability. Yeah. You know, there's there's no limits on uses. It doesn't even use up your lucky trait, racial trait feature. You just can't use it on your turn or for two turns, I guess. I don't like it because it's it's spreading that halfling bullshit to other people now. So now not only your characters annoying me with halfling bullshit, now other people's characters annoying me with halfling bullshit. And I don't like it. Um, yeah, but I'm definitely taking this when I play at Terry's table. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be a halfling diviner with silvery barbs. I'm telling you, Terry's going to be re-rolling all night. Fucking silvery <laughs> barbs. Yeah, the wizard of my tail uses silvery barbs all the time, and is very creative with the animate objects as well, which isn't relevant to this conversation, but another way to annoy me. I have three. I have three players that are bards, and every one of them took silvery barbs. I hear, see so much shit talking about that spell on the internet. Like, it is I think at least once a week, I'll see some comment being like, fuck this fucking spell. Yeah. Yep. And it's usually Terry from another one of his alternative accounts. Yeah. It's just me trolling <laughs> yeah. online. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so, which one of these gnome and halfling traits uh, is your guys' favorites? I mean, clearly the last one, Bountiful Luck, is the best out of the group of them. Mm-hmm. Is it because I... it would piss off Terry? Because that's why it's my favorite. <laughs> no, because who gives a shit about the non detection, really? Like, it's not, it's not super powerful. Fade away. I would rather burn out, if I can be honest. And when it comes to that fucking dumb halfling thing that I was doing, a second chance, I'm like, haha, disadvantage. Reroll that attack. They're probably going to fucking hit me anyway. I'm fucking two feet tall. Like, let's, I don't know. I prefer the bountiful luck. I like the idea that I'm helping my party. This is one of the handful of feats that in combat helps other people and not just myself. Yes. Yeah. It is good. And perhaps I should look at this from the perspective of the player who would be excited to take this feat, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of me as DM going, I hate you and everything you stand for. But yes, on paper, it's great. I think this is good for building camaraderie around the table as well, just the same way that I love it when my players, I've got, like I said, three players that have taken levels in Bard. Fuck my life. But the amount of bardic inspiration that is tossed around my table it gives me a lot of opportunities to dm but it feels good and the players have all really meshed that's right yeah this is a team player type feat that's right yeah right uh which feat do you guys like the least is it fade away or second chance because second chance second chance yeah second chance the only time i'm going to take this is if i am a halfling nothing else makes sense and I'm a charisma caster with a 19 and I want the 20. So I might as well yeah. just so I'll, I'll take the one in this. And eh, by the way, I can do this thing once in a while. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. agreed. All right. Uh, we are going to move on to other realms. So these are feats specifically from Eberron with these ones. Uh, yeah. So Adam, why don't you take us away? I don't have anything from this. Mine's mine's a different oh. thing from later. Oh, right. So. That's that's Terry. Okay. So, uh, so I got the Revenant Blade. So this one is from Eberron. Uh, so you are basically a descendant 
of a double-bladed scimitar master. And somehow this trait is genetic, I guess. It's honestly the dumbest reasoning I've ever seen. Like someone in your family was really good with a sword, so now you are too without any training. Anyways, you got to be an elf. You gain one point to strength or dex. And while using a double-bladed scimitar, you gain plus one to your AC. And the scimitar has the finesse property for you. Yeah, sure. It's very specific. But if it helps, sure. Yeah. Adam, anything for that one? Any thoughts? I No, I'm trying to look it up right now. But it's just to see, like, is it as dumb as we think it is? The double-bladed scimitar or the... Just the backstory of why you have it in the first place. Yeah, literally, that's what it says on the thing. You are descended from a master of the double-bladed scimitar, and some of that mastery has passed on to you. Uh, well, the prerequisite is you have to be an elf as well, Yeah. right? And then, fine. Like, what the... F- You're right, that's dumb. Wood elves. Oh, wood elves are weird in Eberron. Like, there's... The Eberron elves have like weird traditions and shit that are passed down through long lives and and reincarnation sometimes. And like it's I think that that this just I would honestly say that uh, it has passed down to you, not genetically, but through tales of lore and training with your family. You grew up using a double-bladed scimitar, like a wooden version, and now you're pretty good at it. Because a double-bladed scimitar is one of the unique weapons that exists in in Eberron, right? So it, yeah. we don't get many additional weapons outside of the player's handbook. This is one of them, and it's... I would have to have a pretty good narrative reason for handing this fucking nonsense out. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Okay, I have Amor and Dragonmar from Eberron as well. Prerequisite for this is you must have no other Dragonmar. And you have manifested an Amor and Dragonmar, and because of this, uh, you get the following benefits. You increase your constitution score by one to a maximum of 20. Have all of mine been increasing constitution score? I feel like the previous three have at least. Um, I feel like that's really common. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. You learn a cantrip of your choice from the sorcerer spell list. In addition, choose one, choose a first level spell from the sorcerer spell list. You can learn the spell and cast it through your mark. Once you cast it, you must then finish a long or short rest before you can cast it again through the mark. And Constitution is going to be your spellcasting ability for these spells. When you cast the first level spell through your mark, you can expend one of your hit dice and roll it. If you roll an even number, you gain a number of temporary hit points equal to the number rolled. If you roll an odd number, one random creature within 30 feet of you, not including you, takes force damage equal to the number you rolled. No other creatures are in range. You take the damage. You also develop a random flaw from the Aberrant Dragon Mark Flaws table. I won't give you the full table. It's a D8 table. I'll give you two examples. First example is your mark whispers to you, and its meaning can be unclear. And the second example would be animals are uneasy around you. There's an option here for this. Sorry, are you you familiar with Dragon Marks in general, Terry? No, no, no. So in Eberron, the way that it works is that everything is dragon-based in Eberron. The world exists because of of dragon gods and so on and so forth. But um, there are specific houses that do specific things. They're kind of like guilds, but they run more like businesses. And so these businesses are uh, in they're noble houses that are um, very very powerful within the world. Sometimes the families of like the head of the businesses because they're all family run sometimes some of the descendants will get a specific dragon mark each one of the houses gets like a different kind of dragon mark that 
kind of ties in with with the family business because they've built the business up around the dragon marks. For example, if you have a dragon mark that lets you scry, uh, scry then that's um, part of the like you're in the spy network house, right? So just that kind of shit. But these right. look like these really awesome, amazing, um, intricate tattoos, but they're really like birthmarks that show up on you. You can never choose whether or not to get one. And just because you're part of the noble house doesn't mean you will get one at all, right? So, uh, but if you have a dragon mark, you become like the all-stars of your house. And players can choose to have a dragon mark instead of a background. Right, right. Okay. The aberrant dragon mark shows up as because there there are I think twelve houses. This is the thirteenth dragon mark, and it's almost like a curse that's laid upon someone. It's got benefits, but there's also downsides, and it's like having a, a, a negative supernatural birthmark, like like an indication that there's something very strange and wrong about you. And you will actually get kicked out of your house. And some houses embrace you and others don't. And and so, like, the dragon mark, the aberrant dragon mark, really has its own place in the world as being, like, you know how the tieflings are outcasts? Aberrant dragon marks are outcasts as well. So right. that's, that's where yeah. all this comes from. The, the animals are uneasy around you or, you know, the mark whispers to you. It's because the devils and demons in this world are replaced by aberrations because there's a big like history of aberrations trying to take over and ruling okay. the world. So that's that's why we have the aberration and the dragon come together in this weird magical thing that makes you a fucked up person. So oh, okay, well that's great. Well that that makes sense for this next part where the option comes in then for the greater aberrant powers. So at the DM's option, a character who has the aberrant dragon mark feet has a chance of manifesting even greater power. So when you reach tenth level. Um, a character has a 10% chance of gaining an epic boon from among the options in Chapter 7 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. If the character fails to gain a boon, they have a 10% chance the next time they gain a level. Secondly, if the character does gain a boon, the DM chooses it or determines it randomly. The character also permanently loses one of their hit dice, and their hit point maximum is reduced by an amount equal to a roll of that die, plus their constitution modifier. And the reduction cannot be reversed by any means. This is really powerful. Like, it's really intense, I but I would only really use this for, like, story purposes, right? Yeah, yeah. I like the, the Dragon Mark flaws in there. I like anything which kind of lifts up the, the exploration pillar a little bit, so things like animals are uneasy around you. That's something that will get said once, and that will never actually come into effect in the game, even though it can be quite important, you know, that everybody's got, like, most people have, like, a house cat or a familiar, or there's things around where it should, it's noteworthy when mm -hmm. it happens, and uh, it should be it should be brought up more often. So I like those types of things, because I don't forget about them. You know, I have... Um, uh, we had uh, player characters in, in my table that were affected by a sphinx and then later ghosts, so it aged them a lot, and they looked like they were 95 or something. You tell them, they forget about it, but now every room that you go in, you're the 95-year-old, even if your character is 21. Like, these things need to be remembered. So I like these examples from this table. I also believe, and I would have to look at it, so don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that what we're looking at here with um, the cantrip and the constitution um, boost and the first level spell that you get and all that, that's more powerful than the average dragon mark. So you are getting a real boost. Also, they've all got a, I think, burn a background to get their dragon mark. You don't. You get your background, 
and the feet. Right. Yeah. So it is a little different. It's a little stranger. It's a little more powerful, I think. So like I don't I don't super hate this. It's flavorful. I would very much want to dig into this if I was playing any sort of like political intrigue in Eberron. I wish I had time in my life to do something like that. Yeah, agree. So there's also one other feat that doesn't fit anywhere. It's a variant rule in, in the Dungeon Master's Guide to allow players to play with firearms. Um, I tend not to. I will hand out a firearm, but once you have used it a set number of times, it just will not fire. There's no more ammo in this world, that kind of thing. So like, I've handed out a blunderbuss a couple of times, and it always has one shot in it. Save it for when you need it, right? Um, but there's a feat called Gunner, and you can find this in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. It's a little bit it's a little bit different, but I think it's it's worth bringing up because it's like the last feat. Um, you have a quick hand and a key eye when employing firearms, uh, granting you the following benefits. So your deck score goes up by one to a max of 20. You are proficient with firearms now, which, again, go look at the Dungeon Master's Guide for a breakdown of all the firearms rules. Uh, you ignore the loading property of firearms, which is really, really useful. And then being within five feet of a hostile creature does not impose disadvantage on your ranged attack rolls. I would like to be very specific with this. You do not get disadvantage on any ranged attack roll. You throw a dagger to someone three feet away. You shoot a longbow at someone three feet away. You don't have disadvantage on that shit anymore because of the gunner feet. And it's a technicality, and it clearly means firearms, right? But it's just, it's interesting that I could almost pick that up alone on that phrase and never use a gun. Yeah, it's fair. I like it. I like the gunner stuff. Uh, I, I, you know, it's, we're all trying to find ways to bring firearms into the world, even if it's just temporarily, you know, into the game for a little bit of fun and something different, but it can quickly get away from you and you can lose control of it. So for that reason, I don't like to do it too often, but this is a good feat if you're going to include it in your game. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how you do firearms. I'm not entirely against firearms. I don't like them, and if I had the option, I wouldn't include them in my game. And if a player, but if a player really wants it, I would pretty much just, you know, equate it with a crossbow, right? It, it would do the same damage, have the same requirements. Because, I mean, this is, Gunner is basically kind of just, uh, what is Crossbow it? expert. Crossbow expert. Yeah, right? For I think it is crossbow expert with the addition of you gain proficiency with firearms. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would just, I, I would just consider it that. Right. Like if you really want a gun, sure, but it's gonna work the exact same way as a crossbow. You're not gonna deal more damage. I'm not gonna give you like exploding ammunition. Well, I absolutely will. See, that's the thing, is I'm I'm 100 percent gonna hand this shit out because there are rules for it on page 268 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. And yeah. like a pistol does 1d10 piercing damage, right? Uh let me see what else. An automatic rifle does 2d8 piercing. But you can do burst fire with it. And it reloads after 30 shots. You need to spend two hands on it. Sure, that's cool. That's You compare that against Disintegrate or any of the other big spells. And like you're not tipping the, the board too much here, right? Um, yeah. The the idea that the gunner gets to ignore the reload, which, which means it, normally the reload property means you have to waste an action or bonus action after a certain number of shots to, to reload, right? And so each one of the guns listed 
has a list of how many shots it can hold. And sometimes, like the shotgun, it can only hold two. So every third or, or every second round, you burn your bonus action reloading, right? The yeah. gunner doesn't have to do that. Yeah. But again, if I'm going to hand these out, and I do sometimes, if I'm going to hand them out, they're going to be rare, and there's no more ammo. And when it's done, it just falls apart, and you, you're you further ahead with wands. Yeah. Before we wrap up this episode, uh, we're going to cut to a quick ad break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit, r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. So that's literally all of the feats in 5th edition as of the time of this recording. Over five full episodes of feats, except one. For those of you who have been listening to all of the feats episodes so far, have you figured out which one is missing? It should have been included in the first feats episode when we were talking about martial feats. While you think about it, let's wrap up this episode, and I'll let you know after the credits. That's all for this part of our discussion on feats in D&D 5th edition. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can be also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Okay, so the one that we missed, and I can't believe we missed this, I had it as its own separate thing because it's so important to talk about because it's one of the most popular ones. And then I guess it got deleted off the breakdown. I'm like, I didn't realize until much, much later um, is great weapon master. People yeah. fucking love this one. Uh, your marshals, especially barbarians and fighters lean into great weapon master. So here's how it works. You're essentially putting the weight of a, of a heavy weapon uh, into your your attack and you're using it to your own advantage on your turn if you score a critical hit with a melee weapon or you reduce a creature to zero hit points with one you get to make one melee weapon attack as a bonus action so if you crit or you knock someone to zero you get to attack again also on top of that you guys know uh, i'm trying to think it's the berserker thing the i think frenzy where they can or no it's just a barbarian trait where you can just choose to uh to sacrifice some of your to hit in order to do more damage you get this as a feat reckless as attack well. sorry reckless, reckless attack. attack yep that's it no, so that gets uh that gets you advantage and then people get advantage on you right frenzy, but now, rage frenzy just acts something like that but but yeah it stacks with this because if you're using a heavy weapon like a great axe uh and you're proficient with it you can choose to take a negative five penalty to the attack roll, and if it hits, you add plus 10 to the damage. If you put that with reckless attack, so you have advantage, you're really mitigating the, the problem there. So that is 
great weapon master and it is very popular people love it the marshals love it so how do you guys feel about it yeah it's good yeah. i mean it's they also have the same thing for crossbows right yeah it's yeah it's very similar works right it's not complicated you get to use it often it's uh you know it has its place it's not mega ex- exciting for me but i guess you know i haven't played the right character for it in a little while you know with the right character it, it makes sense to take it when you were playing titus you had the glaive with the yeah. 10 foot reach and that was a heavy weapon right and right. Uh, can you imagine and and you were champion fighter so you had the in uh increased crit range on that too of the 19 and 20 so right. you would just be getting extra attacks on top of the sheer number of fighter attacks you already had this would have felt really good i think yeah that's right perfect character for it yeah so there we go that's that's feats let's hope to god no more books come out with more fucking feats i cannot believe there were three people three separate people that were in the our fucking dms on instagram about this about when are you going to cover feats do feats do all the feats i need all the feats and since then since we sat down and started recording so we did the first two then i went and i checked on them two of the accounts have been deleted and the other one doesn't follow us at all but i'm like what the fuck are we doing (laughs) (laughs) the thankless game this (laughs) but but thank you kyle for suffering through five episodes of talking about shitty mechanics on on feats no problem i got to talk shit for most of it so i mean you know bonus (laughs) you get to be petty officer kyle yeah that's right see you next tuesday